0: Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody! Dragon yeah, 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 Talk. Very yes, for today. we are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. It's Hi. the official Dungeons Dragons podcast. Yeah, it is. I,
1: and you're officially Greg Tito.
0: I am officially myself, and mm-hmm. Shelley Mazenoble. You are officially unofficial, unofficial. a badass.
1: Uh, Yes, yes I am. Not a bidet, (laughs) but a badaf. We were just talking about toilets before we started recording. Sorry you all missed that.
0: That is on brand uh, for us very much so. Body
1: award winning.
0: Uh, We are excited because today we get to talk to Gail Simone and Fenway Mm -hmm. Jones. Yeah. Two people who have uh, an amazing amount of accomplishments under their belt and very different things. Uh, Gail Simone is a... A comic book writer. You might have seen uh, her work in many properties in both uh, DC and Marvel and uh, beyond. And Mm -hmm. she's a prolific uh, gamer now. Uh, Her Twitter feed is full of stuff where she's getting into board gaming and Dungeons & Dragons. And uh, we actually met uh, a long time ago. uh, And I've been trying to get her on the podcast ever since. So very excited about this. Glad that worked out.
1: I think she may have even met her partner playing... Dungeons and Dragons.
0: That sounds correct. I saw correct.
1: something that said she met her husband playing it. So
0: Yes. I mean. Yeah. We can't wait to hear about all that. that. And uh, Fenway Jones has been raising money with Jasper's Game Day for uh, suicide prevention. And I believe Gail is playing in a game along with lots of other fun friends from the Dungeons and Dragons community to raise fun for Jasper's Game Week, which is coming up very soon.
1: Yes. So now it's Jasper's Game Week.
0: Exactly. It's not due just due to the day. success.
1: Yes. Um, but yes, Fenway is an an awesome human being. So very very excited for for both of these interviews
0: Interviewees. Uh, me and Fenway are just going to talk about um the Boston Red Sox the entire time. So it should be good for everyone involved.
1: i that sounds like what I want to listen to when I tune into the Dungeons and Dragons podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what what's
1: surprising it's, about that
0: it's just like our talk on the bachelor right Shelly oh the bachelor
1: <laughs> hey it was nice to see you today in person
0: it was nice to see you in person today I got to drop off some uh Dungeons and Dragons stuff uh, yeah to the Mazinoble household before you guys head out
1: two giant bags filled with goodies um everybody in the family was so excited that a new face was coming to see us that we all like immediately like ran, like barged through the garage door to see you. Um, puppy tried to get out, but we locked him out. We didn't Aww. want him to come running out. I know how you feel about puppy. dogs anyway.
0: He, he's he's a very rambunctious and will love to sniff areas. Uh,
1: uh, areas?
0: <laughs>
1: he, he loves swag, especially D&D swag. So he probably would have taken you down.
0: That's that's him. He's an Instagram, uh, you know, influencer in his own right, that puppy.
1: Yep, he is. He's got, he has a, a
0: D&D game. D&D and dogs
1: in the neighborhood. <laughs> dogs playing D&D.
0: Thoughts it's genius.
2: That's
0: it. um, So we are very interested and excited about Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft that is coming out on May 18th. Two amazing covers available for that. You can get the alternate cover only through your game store, so go ahead and pre-order that. And uh, we are interested in this book because it has tons of stuff around how to run a horror game in Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Yeah, and lots of uh, little goodies if you just want to run a horror game. So yeah. much good stuff in there. It's Join up, me.
0: I uh, yeah, come into the dark. Join eyes. me in
1: my coven
0: of hex. Please. Right, there's lineages in there, the Hexplods, which are uh, you know, uh, spawned from hags, perhaps. perhaps. Um, lots Maybe a of fun stuff,
1: reborn action,
0: some dark gifts, uh, that you can <laughs> get from the dark lords of each domain of dread, uh, of which several are described in detail. And we actually have a lore you should know coming up with Wes Schneider all about one of those really fun Domains of Dread.
1: Oh, my God. You get to hey. talk to Wes. I know.
0: Very He's excited. Best. He's the best. You know, I don't think I've ever talked to him about Nailed It. Have you watched Nailed It? My favorite. I love that uh, Nicole Byer, the host, has that relationship with Wes the, uh, the stage oh, hand yes. who brings on something. and I. Uh, yes! I, I, now I'm going to have to mention that to Wes Schneider and see if he is a fan of I that wonder. pronunciation of his name.
1: She's on my um, dream list of people to play d
0: Absolutely.
1: Wouldn't she be just wonderful?
0: Yeah. And on yeah. one of the recent ones, she had Ron Funches on as the guest, and uh, I feel like that's our way in. He's a known video gamer uh, as well as um uh, a very funny person and voice artist in his own right uh, i feel like if they start talking about gaming then we can start making this happen
1: i think she would love it and you know i have a dream of having a D themed episode of nailed it as well
0: well i think you and i would have to be the guests on that one right
1: I mean, obviously. They would probably be like, We want Joe Magnello. we'd be like, No, no, you get Greg and Shelley.
0: <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun.
1: Don't worry, it's gonna be great.
0: And we'll make lots of funny voices and um we're very good at laughing. So I think that's most of the Yeah you know, skill set that you need to be a guest host on that. Uh, we
1: you know, are the... a good audience and I don't think a comedian wants anything more than a good audience. Right? Yeah. Laugh easily.
0: <laughs> that's that's special skills in our resume. <laughs>
1: Laughs Laps at absolutely anything.
0: The drop of a hat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I am going to ask Wes about that in our Laurie Cheneau segment, which is coming up right now Do before it. we get to our fun interview. So let's give a listen and get
2: scared. <laughs>
0: Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Wes Schneider. Hi, Wes. Hey, how's it going? Very excited to talk to you about Har Akir. And this is where we discuss little bits of uh, Dungeons & Dragons lore uh, that you can use in your game if you're a dungeon master, uh, or just to know uh, for your own edification. And in, uh, you know... Celebration of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft coming out on May 18th. I've been talking to Wes about different domains of Dread, and now is our time to talk about Harakir. Yeah. What is going on in Harakir?
2: So, the domains of Dread have always had uh, certain sort of characters, certain sort of tropes that they gravitate to. And, like, let's just be honest... Classic horror movies have always been one of those. You've got your Dracula domain, you've got your Frankenstein domain, but among those is also your classic The Mummy-style domain. And that's represented by the domain of horror here and it's Dark Lord, the excessively immortal uh, Ancto- uh, Pharaoh Anctopat.
0: Oh, all right, so when you're saying The Mummy, you're not necessarily uh, saying the Brendan Fraser vehicle from the 90s, but you're talking about the, you know, the the, the lore of the old Universal Mummy films from, you know, the, the 20s and 30s, right?
2: Yeah, Ravenloft has always definitely been inspired by, you know, not just gothic literature, but clearly... Um, you know, hammer horror films and just, like, all of the, the pulpy, over-the-top stories of, like, you know, the the 50s and 60s. Um, so, yeah, they're, like, in in past editions, Pharaoh Antipat has always come across as a very sort of, like, Boris Karloff with, you know, a, a toilet paper wrapping sort of vibe to him. Mm. Uh, with Van Richten's Guide, we've wanted to go a little bit beyond the there is a creepy pyramid. There is something dead and ancient inside and go with something that's a bit more fantasy, a bit more D&D and a bit more, um, I don't know, in some cases, a bit more necropolis extreme.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Um, so, I mean, will will fans who have a love of Egyptology see parallels here in, in our description of Harakir? here?
2: In all honesty, if you're coming to Harakir and you're looking for a masterclass in ancient Egypt or Egyptology, yeah, no, you're not going to find it. Um, So, like, yes, there are ancient monuments. Yes, there are pyramids. Yes, um, there is a character whose honorific is Pharaoh. But this is, even though this takes some of those, those trappings, it is not, you will not find, um you know you will not find specifics that you might have seen from something like the movies like the mummy movies or certainly not from um too terribly much from like Egyptian mythology like those are inspirations but once again this is a domain of dread so it's meant to be like a sinister reflection of all of that
0: interesting uh as long as there's a scorpion king around I'm I'm really happy
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just let that Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Buy the book and find
0: out. Ooh, all right. Well, I like that even better. There could be uh, uh, something cooking. <laughs> Can you smell what's cooking? I don't know. Um, <laughs> God, I pray. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, so Harik here, uh with, with that background, what are some of the, uh, you know, horror tropes that are present in our description of it uh, in Van Richten's?
2: So couple of different angles on here. The most basic of them is it is a desert realm. So the land itself is inhospitable to mortal life. So the pockets of civili- civilization are relatively few within this vast desert. Beyond the desert itself, there are also these vast, con- these constant sandstorms, predatory natural creature, but even more than this, is the fact that the head of the, or the, um, the ruler of the domain and the dark lord, Pharaoh Actipot um, is undead and is known to be immortal. Um, and that's something that as part of the religions and the cultures of the, um, of the domain is somewhat honored which means that many of the other undead, the other lesser mummies, um, a group called the Children of Octopat, who are like animal-headed mummies. Um, oh. These are all revered creatures that are also tyrants over the living in their own right.
0: So it's almost more of a uh, overt tyranny of this group uh, exerting control over... The the denizens of
2: exactly, of and at the same time, it's all caught up with the, um, with the pantheistic religion of the domain, where it's a religion that uh, Pharaoh Octopot, when he came to power in the domain, he destroyed the old gods of the of the culture and set up these new fake gods because he um, in he himself, uh, part of the reason that he's in ravenloft at this point is because he um betrayed the the gods that he was a high priest of hijinks ensue that got him a spot in ravenloft but now when he found a new land that was revering those deities he worked to destroy them and created a new pantheon largely with himself at the head
0: which is not that dissimilar from a lot of what i know about egyptian history Oddly enough, right? There, there were these uh, pharaohs who came to power and either inserted themselves as, as uh, you know, uh, uh, um, gods or deities, uh, or after time, you know, try to shift entire, you know, cultures in that way,
2: right? Exactly. Um, part of this is also interesting because we play into the angle of Antipat as this immortal mummy. That seems like a good gig for a while, I guess, Guess, but Antapat is extremely old and has mm. seen everything, has done everything, has seen this domain, knows the borders of it, knows the boundaries of it, and is still... Here, So part of his punishment from the gods that he blasphemed against is that they split up his soul into multiple parts. And now Anctopat is trying to find the missing part of his soul. And that's part of the plot of the domain, but it's also something that we lean into uh, for players and DMs. is What happens when you visit Harakir? How might you get involved in the search for Anctopat's soul? Um, and if you find it, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Does that put you, uh, in, you know, his, uh, bring his attention to you? Um, and then what happens if Punctapod does get his soul back? Is he freed? Um, does that lead to other stories, et cetera?
0: When in the timeline was his soul broken up? Was it when he first became Dark Lord or did it happen over time?
2: That's part of his punishment. Every one of the Dark Lords throughout Van Richten's guide doesn't just tell you the story of how the Dark Lord came into being, but it also talks about their their powers, their dominion. But there's a section for each Dark Lord that expressly talks about how are they tormented. The Dark Lords of Ravenloft are all fundamentally prisoners. No one's having a great time as Dark Lord. Um, And part of what is making Octopod a tortured soul is that to an extent he just wants to be done with existing he's done it all he's seen it all he hates being a mummy for the 18th millennia how does he not so much make amends with the gods that he uh, offended but just sort of circumvents them and gets another chance at finally moving on to even if not a final piece, at least a finality. And that's Hmm. what he's searching for.
0: So it's an, it's an, uh, you know, an immortal undead figure who is longing for death.
2: Yes, absolutely. And is uh, completely supported by a series of faiths that put him at the head and a people who are subservient to all of that. And he's got it all. It just wants to be out of it.
0: Wow! Yeah, yeah. you're right because he is at the apex of of society, right in this in this yeah. thing. He's he's the the pharaoh, uh, and that's not what you want. you know. Right there's the you can't buy love. Right, you can't get happiness. You know, through being at the top, pretty much. Pretty yeah.
2: much, it, it all gets boring eventually. Um,
0: what? And, uh, what are some of his servants? What are some of the the, the uh, low-level things that uh, player characters might interact with on Harakir?
2: Well, there's a few different angles on that. Um, the most noteworthy servants of Octopot are a group called the Children of Octopot, which are all greater mummies who are other priests that came to... Park here with him when he was drawn into the Domains of Dread. All of them have sort of been propped up as the figureheads slash avatars of these fictitious deities. So many of them have animalistic heads or other monstrous features that make them seem like more than just human corpses. So they're, they're his, in many cases, lieutenants, but also over time since Antipat is sort of a, an absentee ruler. <clears throat> Many of them have gone off and done their own things or actively oppose him or so on and so forth. Uh, one in particular, the, the mummy, uh, Senmet, for example, is actively working to dispose him because that's a guy that still has a ladder to ch- climb, unlike uh, Um, Beyond this, there's a ton of other undead threats besides mummies, um... But you'll also run into um, like temple guardians and uh, just wild creatures in the desert. The other element of this is we lean into the fantasy of a truly ancient land that is just riddled with ruins to the hmm. extent that the desert covers a vast layer of sub ruins that are interconnected into almost like a um a ruin slash dungeon under dark for the entire domain that just oh, cool. if you go into one ruin and find the the sub the sub 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 basement it connects to all these other ones and this vast undead haunted labyrinth
0: well that's great for fans of uh you know dungeon crawling uh D uh you know not even horror themed ones but that's that could be really exciting uh for um for, for all types of storytelling.
2: Yeah, really any pretty much any type of dungeon or ruin that you've got could definitely find a place uh tied into horror here or I mean even if you're playing outside the domains of dread, hey, if you go into that super creepy sub 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 basement of the tomb of horrors, maybe you come back out um in a desert that you really don't want to be in. <laughs>
0: Ooh, that's a cool idea too, right? Like that that could be the way you get through the mists to Harakir is by dungeon delving somewhere else. Uh, I don't yeah, know I there's
2: uh, there's a discussion in the book that like the mists aren't always outside. Like sometimes yeah. you might just like, oh, why is it foggy in here all of a sudden? Or, you know, open up the closet door in your inn and being like, might be something off with the HVAC system in here. Oh, okay, <laughs> now we're in Varovia.
0: <laughs> I love that you said the eight track system for anybody who's listening who actually knows what that is. <laughs> we have dated ourselves. Uh, so uh, that's really fascinating. Is there you know the op- opportunity to throw uh, you know uh, undead servants and stuff uh, at at players at, at any moment? Is it is it kind of uh, overrun with undead?
2: It depends on where you are. There's a couple of centers of civilization throughout the domain. Uh, there's a single city called Muhar, which is dominated by the um, the clergy of the religions of the domain. So there, in these, these centers of civilizations, you're more likely to run into the living, who have decided to throw themselves in with the face of the land and who ultimately serve this the various undead Um, but as you go out if you decide that you want to engage in you know tomb robbing or exploration of these dungeons or hunting down Pharaoh Antipat's soul or dealing with any of the other dozens of plot hooks that might come up in the course of exploring the domain the farther from civilization you go the more you get into the 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 desert realms and whatnot—the more likely you're going to run into something that that can survive in in this inhospitable land, but that often means that it's actually dead. Mm.
0: Lots of possibilities there for sure. Then, what happens if uh you, you know the the different parts of the soul do get collected? Do you, do you go into that in the book?
2: Yes. Uh, so we get into. Um, for a spectrum of possibilities for where Antipod's soul might be. like maybe it's maybe it's actually hidden in like a canopic jar in some ruin. Maybe it takes the form of like a giant eagle that's constantly circling the sun. Maybe its soul is actually one of the player character's souls, um, that mm. sort of element. But once you've got it, and if you take it to Antipat, what does he attempt to do with it? And it outlines the the ritual that he would attempt to undertake to recombine that soul with his body. Probably doesn't go well for the players one way or the other. Um, particularly if they're already using that particular soul. But those details are there for DM's fix for.
0: And then uh, instead of a dark pharaoh, you'll have a dark queen!
2: Uh... (laughs) Hey, there's a a whole variety of folks that would be eager to step up for it. And I mean, if the PCs want to jump in there as well, lots of opportunities for who could be the next uh, pharaoh of Harakir.
0: I I think folks who are going to gravitate towards playing in a campaign involving Van Richten's guide, uh, Ravenloft, would like nothing more than to immortalize their character uh, uh, by being the, you know, the the, the canonic new leader of uh, Harakir. (laughs)
2: Hey, I mean, Ontopot with living for, you know, just millennia after millennia and to the extent where he just wants to die. I mean, maybe not the best sales pitch for a mortal pharaoh ship, but you know, to each their own. Could be fun for a millennia or two.
0: I'm sure you've known that player who's like, yes, that sounds
2: perfect. That's what I want. <laughs> I want to be the cursed mummy lord now. Yeah. Please, please, can I?
0: Oh, that should be tons of fun. Well, uh, very excited to learn more about Harakir. Folks want to uh, pepper you with questions or just give you a virtual high five. How can they do that, uh, Wes?
2: Uh, The easiest way is probably on Twitter, uh, where you can find me at F. Wes Schneider.
0: Excellent. Well, looking forward to uh, all of the scary tales that are going to be coming Uh, around the table when Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft comes out on May 18th. And uh, thanks a lot, Wes. Yeah,
3: thanks for having me.
0: I am so scared right now.
1: I'm not going to that domain.
0: (laughs) That domain will have some uh, freaky dicky stuff going on.
1: I'm kind of getting a feeling that they all do. Not really yeah. sure that there's any that I would want to just be like an, renting an Airbnb at.
0: <laughs> nope, not at all. And I have had to explain the plot of Friday the 13th to my daughter Fiona many times Why? over the last week. Merely because she saw not even like the poster, but a thumbnail what? from Friday the 13th. Like that was in our you know, scrolling of, of, of movies that we could watch. And then Friday the 13th came up and she's like, What is that? She and was like, intrigued. Oh, she, yeah. Scary things love. is a, her bread and butter. And I was hard pressed. I was like, explain it. I was like, They were counselors at a camp and they were distracted. And then Jason, as a child, drowned, but then he's big again. I, I was trying God, to... God, I don't you know,
1: even remember all that. I just I, remember... And that's for like, me
0: not actually having seen the film. That's just my like. You've never culture. seen Friday the 13th? I've, I'm not a horror movie person. Yeah, that's, but I
1: mean, that's just a classic.
0: It is. I know. I've never seen... I, I don't... Oh. I've never gone back into the catalog of, like, classic horror You're going to have
1: to, because I have a feeling your daughter is going to make you. I know,
0: right? She probably is.
1: I... So we were watching... <laughs> we've recently gotten into the Goldbergs, so I've mm. seen episodes of because it's very funny anyway. But it came on like automatically after America's Funniest Home Videos. Then Quinn was like, what is this show? I think it's amazing. So he he got really into it. There was They were talking about the movie Poltergeist. Mm. And Bart and I were like, oh, oh my God, Poltergeist. It's the worst, scariest movie. So Quinn's like kind of, you know, thinks he's kind of a badass when it comes to horror. He's
0: a like, badass?
1: He's a badass. And he, like his mother. <laughs> yeah. And he, um, they showed like a clip of Carolyn in front of the TV and he that's all it was and he was like oh, No Tell me when it's over and then he accidentally opened his eyes again and they showed the clown and he was like, I'm I gotta go to bed. I'm done. I can't watch this anymore. So yeah, we might be off the Goldbergs now. We're like, that's not they were talking about a movie. It's not the TV show that's scary. <laughs> oh,
0: that's but so funny. It's
1: it's going to be a while, I think, before he ever sees the movie Poltergeist or plays Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft.
0: Or yeah, exactly. Or maybe <laughs> it, that that's how you introduce him uh, to this wonderful world is safe yeah. horror
1: because I mean, it doesn't. You don't have to just go right to the super scary stuff. You can just add elements, and the exactly. book the book shows you how to do that.
0: And here's how much I because I, I've not seen Poltergeist either. Jeez. There's a clown in Poltergeist? Greg. Oh,
1: Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just it. No. This is like, it's one of the worst. Wait, <laughs> you really have never seen Poltergeist?
0: No. I have not. You, oh man. I
1: don't know mm-hmm. that you should know.
0: I probably shouldn't. It would just be. It's still terrifying Haunting. every yeah.
1: time I like a tree like brushes against a window. I flash back to this really terrifying scene. Mm. Every time yeah. I look under my bed, for oh god, I just I can't believe you've never seen it. Did you ever see Halloween? No, Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: I've seen. Well, see, this is why is because I saw Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, The Dream Warriors. Uh, at like a you know an older kid's house in my neighborhood when I was seven maybe oh Um, too
1: young yeah and I was
0: not it was not (laughs) okay okay. Uh, and I believe I stayed up you know for like for 72 hours straight afterwards and uh, never wanted to go to sleep because that's where Freddie is Uh, and so yeah I mean even at a young age I was kind of like nope I don't think this is the experience I want
1: no did you ever see The Ring a more modern I have seen The Ring actually That that didn't scare you?
0: Uh, no, it mm-hmm. didn't. I mean, I was scared, but like intellectually scared, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And I've seen, you know, uh, Cabin in the Woods, and um, yeah,
4: was what was
0: the cool. other one I, I saw? Uh, Blair Witch. Blair Witch, right? Which we've talked about before. Yeah. Uh, and that one I enjoyed because it was so much about what was in your head, right? It was so much about the yeah. The, the the monster that you made up rather than the one that you saw, and I find that more uh, interesting. Yes.
1: I agree, absolutely. Whew.
0: Anyway, well, so there's lots, lots for us to more. learn for sure, yeah. and yeah. maybe we will uh, have our kids uh, play in a horror-themed game so they can deal with it. Uh, but before we get to all that, let us uh, get a nice fun. Non horror themed conversation uh, happening with Gail and Fenway. Let's get them on the phone. Ring. Let's welcome Fenway Jones and Gail Simone to Dragon Talk. Yay.
4: Yay. Yay! I'm so honored to be here. We're so honored to
1: have you here. To have both of you here. Yes. Two legends. Yeah. Two legends <laughs> in the in the D and D community right here. <laughs>
0: That's right, Fenway. You are here, uh, you know, because we are going to be uh, raising a lot of money through Jasper's game week uh, that is coming up, and uh, we'll talk more about that. And then, of course, Gail, you're going to be playing in one of those games and uh, supporting it.
4: Yeah, it's so um, exciting, but it's also terrifying to play online.
2: You know, mm-hmm. I've only
4: done it once or twice before, and I always feel like everyone else is so awesome and amazing, and I'm just like, wait. <laughs> Wait for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited. <laughs> I think that's a
1: universal fear of, of playing online. No matter who you are, you're just always going to think everybody's going to be way better. And <laughs> I'm never, I will not know what a D8 is. And I'm going to spend like 10 minutes going through my dice trying to figure it out. It's
4: like you're asking me to do math. Yeah. When I play the <laughs> live
0: that's always compelling yeah. content when people are like what's a uh, six plus four uh-
1: <laughs> it's educational okay, i can do that, I can do that. <laughs> it's educational if you have well, the kids watching
0: you got a leg up on me then. <laughs> 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 that arithmetic is, is always hard
1: it's been a while this year has taken all of our math skills away. oh my god all yep. of our brains <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. so, <laughs> had to numb ourselves to make it through
1: seriously so I'm All noticing right. that this is Jasper's Game Week
3: mm-hmm. and when
1: I remember back in the day it was a day
3: <laughs> so the charity actually is still named Jasper's Game Day so that's our overarching name. Okay. this is just the event name um so Jasper's Game Week it is now actually uh April thirtieth through May eleventh. So it's a little more than a week. Yeah, (laughs) Um, but we have games going on uh, all throughout those days, and I'm very excited
0: Mm. about that. Yeah, it's so so great to bring uh, you know attention to the fundraising that you're doing in order to uh, you know uh, combat uh, or, or or reduce. Uh, the effects of of suicide on 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 people, and uh, to get them the resources they need to uh, to have And I love the the whole. Uh, you know, you're 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 critically needed for someone out there. Like I love the whole message uh, around the entire event and the yeah. charity.
3: <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, yeah, that's
4: kind of thank our... you. Thank you so much for doing this. This is just incredibly meaningful to a lot of people. Yep, it is.
3: I really appreciate that. That's our, that's our goal, reduce the stigma around talking about suicide and suicide prevention so that we can continue to help people, um, you know, suicidal, suicidal ideations, uh, as well as who are going through a suicide loss. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this entire uh, charity was born through, uh, you know, uh, that personal journey for you, right, Fenway?
3: Yeah, it was. Um about three or four years ago, um, I lost two friends to suicide within the span of a couple of months, um, and I didn't really know what to do with myself, that, to be honest, and I wanted to be able to use the pain that I was feeling to create something positive, positive. and one of the people that I lost, uh, his name was Jasper, and he was my gaming partner in crime. We went to conventions together, played a degree together. And, uh, you know, so I decided to use Death Brewer's Game Day as a way to honor him and as a way to bring suicide prevention to the gaming world. But you were 14
1: when you started it? Like, I, yeah. Greg and I were talking about this before we started this interview. I, I remember myself at 14, and I just, I was not that motivated or that, Self aware, or like the, just hearing you talk and say you wanted to take your pain and turn it into something that you know, would help people. How are you able to do that? I think there's adults
3: that would like to know just asking for a friend. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> Well, if I'm be, being completely honest, I cannot claim that I did it by myself whatsoever. Um, my mentor, Team Phoenix, helps me a lot, uh, as well as my family did. And uh, Jasper's family was actually involved for, uh, for a little while, too. Um, and so, you know, just having that community support and having those people behind me, driving me, um, and and only wanting to help me get to
0: where I wanted to be was a key I think to getting where we are today and that's a great message well A for everything around Dungeons and Dragons right you need a, a support group you need a, an adventuring party uh, to help you but it's especially uh, you know poignant when you're talking about suicide prevention right because it is all about reaching out and uh, you know giving the support that people need when they're uh, you know feeling these feelings
3: for sure. Yeah. d d uh, is actually used in therapy quite often, um, for people who are depressed, who are anxious. A lot of people who are mentally challenged, um, they, they use d d as a way to have the social experience, um, to be able to be there without, you know, necessarily having to be yourself. Um, you can, be a character um, who could be based off of yourself, who could be um, whoever you want them to be. And you can just be there for a few hours and not have to think about what's going on here. Yeah, and it, it can
1: also provide you with that safe space to kind of explore parts of your life that maybe you're not comfortable exploring in real life, but you can, you know, play them out um, around the table. It does. It gives you, we've, we've heard that a lot from, from people who have discovered some really, um, impactful, important things about themselves through the, through the game.
0: That's very meaningful.
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, and Gail, I think, uh, we met, uh, when you came up to Seattle for, a. Emerald City Comic Con mm-hmm. a long time ago, and I think yes. you mentioned uh, then that that's that's how you uh, and you and your husband had gotten together through playing Dungeons and Dragons. Is that right? Yes.
4: It is right. It's such a, a you know, looking back on it, it's an amazing story. But when you're in it, it just you know, it's happening at the time. But um, I was in high school and um, I was a very serious theater arts student and writer and so i was like into uh you know plays death of a salesman and streetcar named desire and all this really kind of heavy stuff and i'm the oldest in my family from a dysfunctional family i had a lot of responsibility from a young age and i really didn't learn how to play i didn't realize that that was you know missing in my life until i actually met my husband because he has such a you know fun spirit and he's funny and and um he grew up differently than I did. And in fact, his, um, you know, I wasn't interested in having a boyfriend. I wasn't interested in any of those kinds of things. I was very serious. I had my path. I was going to go, you know, do this stuff, go to college, blah, 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 be serious, no play. And (laughs) and my husband's mother cut my hair and she was always trying to talk me into um, meeting him. She felt like we had a lot in common and, Unbeknownst to me, she was nagging him at home. You know, you've got to call this girl. You guys have a lot in common. And this went on actually for about three years. And he finally said, you know, first he was like, Oh, well, no, no, no. Okay. Then what does she look like? And and his mom was like, Oh, well, she's this and this, and she's got red hair. And he's like, Nope, not happening, not gonna call her. That's a deal breaker. Don't red like hair? Yeah. Yeah. And so did she say, so, well, I, I
1: can dye it. I can take care of
4: that. <laughs> <laughs> what color do you Might want? That much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, anyway, until he she just literally nagged him until he said, Mom, if I call her, will you stop nagging me? This has gone on long enough. And he invited me to a D&D game with his friends, you know, safe, not going to hook up you know, none of those things. And, um, his, him and his friends were just really smart and serious and talented and, you know, being, or having interest in writing and theater and stuff. I just completely fell hard for D and D because that was, you know, everything that I think I had been missing in my life to that point, you know, playing, having fun, not worrying about my responsibilities uh, being able to forget my problems for that period of time, which I think uh, gaming is really good for anxiety and stress, and just because it sets your, you know, it gives your brain a chance to reset. And he was funny, and you know, the rest is history. Married all this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, amazing. Yeah. So, and we we didn't play for quite a while because life, you know, but now, especially the pandemic has allowed us to really get back into it and bring our son into it. And we've just been really passing a lot of time. Um, And I think it's been really good for all of us to, you know, focus on something else. And, and, you know, D&D requires all the skills. Let's face it. It requires problem solving, math, creativity, writing, you know imagination just all of it and so you, you it really takes you somewhere else and i think that's super healthy for especially for creative people
0: absolutely and i i i have while you were talking i had this thought that it kind of connects uh what both of you are talking about and it's it's from my own past so my mom was you know i've mentioned a bunch of times on here before she was against dungeons and dragons she was uh, religious and thought that it would be you know bad for those reasons as well she tried to say like oh other moms have told me that that their uh children have gotten into Dungeons and Dragons and they regretted it because they they didn't have any friends and they were above you know all this um you know kind of stigma around around D&D play that was there in the 80s and what's very telling from the both of your stories and and i mine when i was able to start playing when i was an adult um is that that's a, that the opposite of truth, right? Like you build relationships and friendships, some of which last, you know, for decades. Uh, and, and, and,
4: <laughs> and produce children, right? And produce children, yeah. And all these <laughs> things
0: to come. And, you know, uh, for, for, for Fenway, like having that support group and, and, and being able to, uh, you know, work on things like Jasper's Game Week has only been, you know, helping heal and, and, and build relationships. And, and, you know, I kind of just want to send this to my mom. So that she can you <laughs> first hand out wrong she us.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah, because it's so crazy how much uh, relationship building goes into this game.
4: Well, and, and during the pandemic in particular, when you yeah. can play it online as well, I think it's been a real um, savior for a lot of people. And, you know, I hear that all the time. People telling me on Twitter and, and stuff that uh, without it, they just had nothing to look forward to. Uh, So, you know, don't knock it. Although Scott reminds me all the time when we play that he he gets so furious. I don't really DM much anymore because it feels like I'm writing, you know, Mm. (laughs) I feel like I need a break from writing sometimes. So he does a lot of the DMing and and he's, he gets mad at me because I always want to play a Hobbit fighter. And he thinks that's the most ridiculous thing he's ever heard. <laughs> and, and if we're playing a game where I can't be a Hobbit fighter, fighter I create something that's still basically a Hobbit fighter. Anyway. <laughs> it, makes it, it doesn't yeah. matter if we are playing Star Wars role playing or, you know, Marvel role playing, whatever it's still going to be. Basically, yes. basically a Hobbit fighter just because it makes him mad.
1: Oh well, yeah, he, that, that was his fault. He shouldn't have. He shouldn't have led on like that. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> what is it about the fighter role that is intriguing to you?
4: Um, I think for me, especially nowadays, what I play, it's just a total release. You yeah. know, I just go in and and just be chaos and not have to keep myself together (laughs) too much. I I don't strategize too much either, which also drives him crazy (laughs) or drives him, you know, to get be upset with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that he's in the background. (laughs) I I love that little chuckle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so great.
4: Yeah. Yeah. he, He said a minute ago, I don't think you heard it. He said, I'm still throwing my saving throw. (laughs) <laughs> Talking about her marriage <laughs> I was trying to throw my savings <laughs> i know, I love that so essentially, your first
1: date was a d and d game
4: it was yeah. so that is and-
1: that's intimidating i mean i guess you, I guess you don't know what <laughs> you don't know, but I right. you know walking into an established game, but right you-
4: I'd never played before, and he definitely was his friends, all dudes, and I was the only girl there and um it, it just i don't know something about it did it for me apparently <laughs> <laughs> this is like having a live audience i love it
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since we've had anybody in the room <laughs> laughing is, yeah
1: that's so great well i mean that's
0: an important point i mean i think fenway you've 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 had to uh you know navigate that as well being uh you know uh the the the, the only person who is like you uh, in the group and, and uh, trying to figure out in, in some ways that's makes it a strength, but it can, it can be hard as well, even in the, in the community still.
3: For sure. Yeah. When I first started Jasper's game day, not as much now, um, cause I've kind of, you know, made a little bit of a name for myself. Um, but when I first started, uh, playing and Jasper's game day in general, um, people were like, why is there a teenage girl? Like, like why does she get these opportunities? And I was like, cause I worked with the opportunities. And they're like, but you should give these opportunities to me because I've been in a part of this community longer. I'm like, that's not how this works. Um, <laughs> There's um,
4: always people that are going to bring, try to bring someone down that are successful, yeah. especially when they aren't. I'm sorry <laughs> that you had to go through that. Yeah.
3: yeah. And I kind of, I just kind of learned to deal with it as I deal with my games. Um, I'm like, you know, if these people are still trying to be a part of this, but are, are being angry, like, they just want to be involved. But they don't know how to correctly
4: express themselves. And again, that's a very generous way <laughs> I
1: know. Like, again, she shows how <laughs> self aware you are, and yes, very generous in your thinking. I was, I had different thoughts in my head. <laughs> talking about these people, I just feel very protective of you. So
3: <laughs> it took me a long time to get there. It took me a long time to get there. Uh, at first, I was, I just wrote them off and was like, nope, you can't be a part of this anymore. Like, oh. But after a while, I realized, like, one experience with somebody shouldn't, well, I take that back. One experience of this sort with someone should not create an animosity that lasts for a lifetime. And um, I just, like, I was like, I know that they still should be involved. Like, we can't say no they can't be part of a suicide prevention charity if they really want to be. Right. And so, you know, I know that doesn't uh, apply to every situation. I never would say it did, but, um, for this situation, that's how I applied it.
0: Yeah. I really liked, I mean, that's a a piece of advice I give to dungeon masters. Sometimes if there's inter player or party conflict to, uh, Work it out in game, right? Like, to, you know, if you're going to have an argument between players, have the characters argue out as they would as characters, and then it becomes a drama that you know everybody can interact with at the table rather than it just being something that's that's destructive and 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 could you know potentially rip the the, the group apart. And so, I really like that you kind of thought to approach it like you would as a dungeon master and 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 uh, uh, get people more involved in the way and, and and teach them the right way to to interact. Uh, with this situation.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, that's a really good, um, just a leadership skill. People who are seemingly against you, the way that you can turn them and get them on your side. And then, then they actually become an asset. And some of that is just hearing them. Okay. I, I, you can totally disagree with what they're saying or how they're saying it, but like, okay, I hear you. Here's what, like, you know, let, let's talk about this or like you, you are allowing them to be a part of it, which is kind of what they wanted to be maybe all along. And now they become allies and now they're, you know, a voice for that change as well. So it's very smart. Very yes. smart. Yeah. Um your uh your Twitter handle is was is a uh, Fenway Teen DM. So you have I mean you're still a teen. Yes. Yes. But- <laughs> But when did you start uh dungeon mastering uh when I turned thirteen when you turned thirteen okay i just i mean well, how did i, I yeah what was what what was it was like now that i'm i'm thirteen now I can get behind the well,
3: screen <laughs> no not necessarily <laughs> um it was just kind of how time worked out. I started playing when I was eleven, um, so I played for about a year and a half before I decided I wanted to start dungeon mastering. And it wasn't because I entirely decided it. It was because my dad and I. My dad was one of the local coordinators way right back when AL had those, um, oh, yeah. and he was helping uh, local game stores get their uh, Dungeons and Dragons groups and and game nights started. Um, and so we were working at an old comic book store uh, around where we lived. And one night it was like, he had to run a table for 10 people because there was no other DMs that were there. And he was like, we were, we were driving home from that. And he goes, yeah, so we're going to get you ready to DM next week. And I was like, <laughs>
4: oh my god!
3: <laughs> <laughs> and so I was quite literally thrown into the deep end when it comes to dungeon mastering. But I wouldn't have had it any other
1: <laughs> so what, Did you go through like a week training? Like, what? What did you <laughs> t- tell me? Like how did you get ready to be a dungeon master?
3: Um, I don't even know. Like, there wasn't really much prep that happened. Like, I just read the adventure and then I kind of winged it. Um. Mm. And, you know, I wasn't great at, like, running the roleplay yet. I was fantastic at, well, fantastic <laughs> at combat. Um, but the, the roleplay I really had a hard time with. So the first couple of, of adventures, um, I, I look back at it and laugh now, but I was like, I'm going to run the combat for your group, and you're going to roll run the roleplay for my group. And so my dad and I would switch. Mm. I wasn't comfortable running the role play yet. So I just ran the combat for his group. And then he ran the role play for mine and we switched again.
0: Oh, that's cool. It's kind of like a, Um, like a co-DMing tag team. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I love, I love, love that you and your dad were in on this together. That Mm -hmm. is so amazing. I don't know if there's very many people that can say that their parents are into it too. (laughs)
3: My my dad has been playing since he was in uh, middle school to high school. Um, and so he's been playing a while. And that's actually how I got into gaming, was I started playing with the group of gamers he's been playing with since he was in high school. Oh, uh, really? And they've continued to play up to this point. Um, oh. And I, I just was, he was, they've known me since I was born because that's, yeah. you know, how long they've been playing. And so when I hopped in, they were all like, "What's us spend with
1: yeah, I bet they loved that. I bet that was really special for them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. Super cool. Yeah. And then Gail, uh, so- how did you get involved in Jasper's game week?
4: Um, I think that we were just talking online and, and uh, I was asked and I'm like, oh man, that is an amazing charity. Of course you know, and, um, I'm really supportive of what Fenway is doing. And so anything that I could do to help, I'm, you know, happy to do. So that's how come I'm going to be playing role playing game online. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) She's playing at Adam Bradford's table. Oh, I was going to ask if you, if you know,
1: you, do you know who you're playing with? You know who the rest of the party is?
4: Um, I know that uh, Christina, who's a cosplayer, will be uh, in the party. I'm not sure who else right now.
0: I can't remember off the top of my head. Christina, are Awesome. Oh, you're in good hands.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then (laughs) the third third non-auction seat for that table, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the name, uh, Greg or Shelley, but it's Tony Winslow Brill. Yeah. She helped write
1: on the Kindle Keep. Yeah.
3: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is a great table. <laughs> and Gail, are you going to be a hobbit fighter?
4: I cannot reveal this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Magic Gateball says all mm. signs point to yes.
4: <laughs> Our big argument is I always say hobbits are mighty. Look at what, you know, they saved the entire Middle Earth, right? And his argument is always no, hobbits are not mighty. You are imagining that, <laughs> and they are just little. And she, he, always, we always have this huge fight every time about hobbits are mighty. No, <laughs> they're not. But well, I am correct. It's
0: you're all in how you think about to it. No one.
4: Yes, you're
1: a <laughs> hobbit with really high self esteem, and I support this. <laughs> <laughs> I like it.
0: Well, here's the, here's perhaps a more of a more of a tougher question uh, because it's something you know I know that 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 Fenway is passionate about is trying to reduce the the stigma around uh, suicide and talking about it. So, in, in honor of that, I wanted to kind of talk through something that I that I've been thinking about through this interview, which is you know D and D is a violent game. You know, there's things that happen that are are you know that can be very graphic. Uh, you know, and we've got um, a lot of horror-themed uh, things that we're talking about because of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft uh, coming forward. Um, and so how, how how do you put both of those things in your head at the same time? Like, oh, we're going to bash monsters, and isn't that great? And then, you know, try to support uh, uh, people who are, are having these kinds of ideas.
3: So uh, in the Jaspers game day, in, in general, all of our games, uh, we keep all, like, explanations or descriptions and content PG 13 so as to not you know trigger anyone in our audience and then we also put lines and bales um in our games um that are just general ones for um jaspers and those are uh, anything to do with hurting children anything to do with self-harm or suicide and anything sexual So none of those three things can be involved in the Jaspers Game Day games. And as the the violence, uh, so I don't think violence itself is necessarily what causes, well, like violence in this manner can cause even more triggering, usually. There are always instances. Um, But I think that oftentimes people see it as a necessity in this sort of context. And as long as it's not not super graphic, um, it's often a fun type of like, they get to protect something or they get to work towards a goal with the rest of their party. And so uh, we usually don't do like uh, aggressive interpersonal um, fighting. You know, like, unless it's like we have one game that's going to be, Happening I mean, that's called Melee Ball, and it's like a competitive sport using uh, Dungeons & Dragons rules. And so we're letting that, like, we'll add that there, but um, we don't let, you know, super aggressive, interpersonal uh, player on that.
0: Well, that sounds like a lot yeah. of, you know, good ways to, to keep the kind of content uh, streamlined. Um, but uh, I'll throw this to you, Gail. Like, I mean, a lot of your... Comic book work uh, is pretty violent and, and, and deals with, you know, I mean, just thinking of just, you know, Deadpool and, and uh, uh, all of the uh, stuff on the DC side that is a little bit more anti-heroic, I guess you could say. Um, how does that enter your brain when you're talking also about, uh, you know, suicide prevention?
4: Well, even though I do write fiction that has some violence in it and, you know, superhero. I also do video game writing and various other things. Um, There's always hope. It's a a lot of my stories are about found family, about, um, you know, finding your true self about um, starting from nothing and, and accomplishing things through hard work um it's not just the violence for violence sake sometimes violence happens to try to get to the good thing at the end or to try to stop the bad guy from winning or you know creating something terrible and um i don't usually have violence just for violence sake there's always some story component to it there's the you know there's consequences um, and i i personally feel that fiction when done properly is a great place to exercise things that are bothering you. Like if a character is having a similar problem that you are, and this is how this character handles it. And this were the, this is the character's consequence that handled it in this way. And the reader will learn from that. Hopefully, you know, was this appropriate or if this was me, would I have done it differently? So it's very carefully um, written in terms of that it's, You know, there's if somebody does something violent or really not for the common good, there's going to be
0: a consequence. (laughs) Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, you know, there's always, I mean, I mentioned the Satanic Panic for D&D. There was that for comics as well. And, you know, in, in movies and video games, right? Like that somehow there are these murder simulators that are teaching children these awful things and and I've always taken from when I was a a games critic uh to to now uh you know working for D&D like those types of investigations and those stories are are instructional just the way you said like it's not about you know the vast majority of of the material that people uh, are criticizing in that way has exactly what you described. Like there is, there's the good that these characters are fighting for and there's a lot of crap that they have to get through in order to accomplish those goals but it's, um, the, you know, the ideal, right? It's the dramatic ideal that like you have to get through this in order to get to it and if you don't have anything that has zero conflict or zero violence then you don't even have a story. So are you arguing against the idea of stories when you say you don't (laughs) have this stuff in, 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 media? Yeah.
1: Yeah. What it, so what Gail, when you I mean you're incredibly prolific. You have a like the work that you've done runs the gamut. You've you've written for some of of the most well-known IPs in the world. <laughs> what is your your writing process because you're you are writing some really, you know, well-known iconic characters. Like do you have is there freedom for you to kind of, you know, take those characters into different places or is it all, I get maybe it depends on, on
4: the, the license or but what is that creative process like for you? Um, no, I don't, I don't usually get told what to write or what the story is going to be. I usually like, you know, I've written Wonder Woman and Deadpool and Simpsons and Tomb Raider and, you know, the list, like you said, is very, very long. So someone will come to me and say, Hey, you know, how would you like to write this or this character? Um, what would you do? And so usually I come up with a, how, um, how I would approach the story. And so I spend time thinking about, you know, like let's just take Wonder Woman as an example. She's been around for, you know, since the early 40s. There's been a lot of stories told, uh, you know, with her, with her films now as well, television shows. Uh, time has passed. Um, We've gone through different stages in society on how women are treated as one example. And so I'll I'll think about the tone, um, modernizing it in her case a little bit. So you'll take these superhero stories and these fantastic, iconic superheroes, and you'll tell a story with a modern theme. And, you know, to bring that up to date and still keep the fun, the, you know, The majestic parts of it, the powers and and all the fantastic fictional elements in. But usually when you read my work, you'll find something in the real world. It'll be about, you know, in Wonder Woman's case, the first story arc, it was definitely about mothers, daughters, sisters, uh, grandmothers, you know, very uh, female uh, relationships. And, uh, and what dating would be like if you were from an island of only women and you had your own s- social and, and courting um, uh, traditions, how that would carry over into, you know, our world and, and things like that. So um, that's how it happens for me is I'll, they'll come to me with a character and um, I'll say, yes, I would. Like to write that? Thank you very much. And I'll propose as, as a story and a, a tone and a path to take that character.
1: Oh, that's amazing!
0: Now I'm have- ma- imagining Sorry. Wonder woman as a as a halfling. So that's my <laughs> head. Now going forward. Well, and I
4: I, I I approach stories like that, but you know, like let's contrast with Deadpool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll contrast Wonder Woman and Deadpool. Deadpool is a whole different character with a whole different set of rules and he you know he's got different powers and the tone is completely different and so I would sit down and think about what I think would be funny because that was the only thing that was really said to me is we want to make this book funny again and so I thought well you know he's got this this um, healing factor. He's got cancer. This is kind of dark when you think about it. So for me, the humor is going to come from a dark place. And so I, I approach it like that. And, um, and then we tell stories, you know, put him in situations where he's going to have to maybe get his arm blown off speaking to of violence with the code to the briefcase he needs to get into written on it. And it's way across the room and he can't find it. So it's just a different, Different characters are different tones and stories. Yeah. I mean, it's you, there, it doesn't get boring, I guess, because you have so many (laughs) different. I love it. I love having multiple projects in multiple worlds and tones. Um, That way I don't get bored and I'm constantly challenging myself, which is important. And that's a lot of times how I make decisions on what jobs to take is, um, you know, I don't usually take what's going to be easy. I take what, I think maybe hasn't been done before or, you know, do I see it in a different way or just something I have to have something yeah. to grab onto.
0: You mentioned <clears throat> um, comedy. Like, do you bring that into uh, the D and D table? Like, are, are you, are you a, a comedic person? <laughs> kind Hobbit of in, in, fighter? In, yeah. Right. In general. <laughs>
4: of course. <laughs> um, there's always comedy in everything I do of some sort. It's not always the same type of comedy doesn't come from the same place always, but I, you know, it's a great stress reducer. It's a great, it adds unpredictability to things and, and uh, you know, I enjoy it. So it's going to be there. And and when it comes to writing stories, it helps me create an emotional roller coaster for the reader. So I might be telling, you know, a story like in clean room that's extremely horrific and then there'll be a funny moment to kind of give the reader a little break.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I like I like being that role in the D and D table too, right? Where things are, you know, getting crazy and there's lots of damage. Things are happening, uh, but then yeah, I like chaos. (laughs) Yeah, a nice in character joke uh, or an out of character uh, thing can relieve that tension really well, and it's it's a skill just like anything else is storytelling, right? (laughs)
1: And speaking of storytelling, Fenway, as a dungeon master, what kinds of stories do you like to tell at the table?
3: Um, my stories are usually, it, re- it really depends. I really like role-play and exploration-based stories with slight bits of combat here and there. I think role-play and exploration are really my strong suits. Um my my combats, uh, I will say, um, are very brutal. Um, <laughs> um, I do it's not the go- prize that much more worth it, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I do not go easy on uh, people, um, but I really like puzzles. I like traps. I like the things that you can throw in there to make players more, interact more with them each other and you know, kind of get to know them better um, and sort of thing. Okay. And so now, so you've
1: gotten obviously more comfortable with the role play part of, okay, dad's, yes. dad's a good teacher, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a dungeon master, so I feel like both combat and role play would be challenging. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one I would gravitate more towards.
0: Yeah, we've been trying to get Shelly to start, and I think that, that that crack is now a chasm. You're going to start soon, I think.
1: I think, I think I might. <laughs> I have, I'm going on vacation you right after this it. interview, and I have packed the essentials kit. So um, <laughs> you there, do there it. may be there may be some, yeah.
0: It's what, gonna bring uh, some
1: dice and some questions.
0: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Dungeon Masters are the, the lifeblood of 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 storytelling uh, here in in Dungeons and Dragons. So we constantly hear from folks who are like, "Oh, I'm a, I want to start, but I don't know how, or I just got to get over this hump uh, of 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 you know getting a table together." What advice, and Gail, maybe we can go with you. Like, what what advice would be a good start uh, to to kind of demystify running uh, a anD game and hopefully get more people out there to try?
4: I just, you know, don't be afraid of how you're going to look. I mean, you're just get into the idea, I think, of controlling the narrative as much as you can while letting the other players, you know, change it and be willing to be a little bit malleable so you can go different directions and then lead them back to where you really want them to be. Um, but I think mostly it's just get over the fear of it, get over looking, thinking that you're going to look ridiculous, have some plans, have some, have some interesting key things that you can get the characters back to if they start wandering off somewhere that's not as interesting or not, you know, moving the, the story forward um, and have kind of like a little I always like to have a little theme in mind so that, and and also tricks. Like if you think that you need to kill the giant spider and then you, they kill the giant spider, but that spider had something that you needed. So now what do you do? So just things like that, that make it unpredictable. And then just weave your story as you go along. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine.
3: (laughs) I, I, The same advice, absolutely. Um, But also, I kind of like to think of it, start with a group that you really trust. Like the the people in it, you trust. Maybe you're a player and you're transitioning to a DM um, and you've played with them all before. Like start with that group and ask them for constructive criticism after the game. Like where they think that you could do a little bit better. What they liked, what they think that they would like more of, uh would like less of. Like, you know, and just kind of trust their judgment, but also trust your own judgment and realize that um mechanics don't always have to be everything. Like uh, you don't have to spend 20 minutes looking through books for this one rule. You should make a ruling and, and move on. And then if if you want to Say, tell a player to look up through what the book says and have them tell you. It's totally fine, but I think to keep the game moving is the most
4: important part of being yeah. a I agree with that, and also to know that your story can be about anything, really. Um, mm-hmm. My brother-in-law, who is a restaurateur, one time did a campaign where we all we didn't know till way, way, way into the game, but we were all in a giant oven. <laughs> and had oh to my try god to right so in I the mean, giant
1: oven <laughs> so, <laughs> so amazing
4: yeah it was it was really a cool adventure so it can just be you d- don't limit yourself on in, yeah. on things that you've seen before because i thought that was pretty clever write <laughs> what you know that's what they say right
0: <laughs> he's like i know <laughs> what the inside of an oven, oven looks oven. like but
4: no more
1: <laughs> meat locker <laughs> yeah people i people always say like you know play with people that you're comfortable with, with your friends, with your adventuring party. But I keep thinking, I want to play with people who are totally new, so they don't know if I'm messing things up. <laughs> Is that not the right idea? I just feel like, they won't, That's, but then but then I'm responsible for their, like, their one experience. D&D experience.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right, Which could yeah. go sideways. Um, I think after you've DM'd at least a couple of games, um, new people are always a lot of fun, but also new people require a lot more help than oftentimes a new DM can
2: provide.
3: Um, Because they're going to want to know all of the rules and know everything about their character. And if you haven't, one, played the character before, two, know all of the rules, as a DM, that can be kind of like uh, a, a a blocker mm-hmm. for yourselves um, and making the game you might, it, it might still be a lot of fun for the players but you might not feel as proud of yourself because you didn't know that rule you didn't know what the character would do and so you might mm-hmm. feel much more down about yourself and so I think the DMs who are comfortable with at least most of the rules should are, are great with New players, new players are fantastic and uh, lots of fun. But I also think new DMs and new players together, um, you know, it, it it could be a great mix. Um, but also, you know, it depends um, on on your work yes. kind on of things. It yeah. would
1: be the blind leading the blind. I think that's <laughs> a good point. They the new players would actually yes require some help. I told my son he's seven. I said, we might play D&D you know, this week when we go away. And he was like, cool, okay. And I said, I'm going to be the dungeon master. And he, <laughs> he goes, oh, but, <laughs> but dad's so much better. <laughs> I'm like, oh, way to take a hit, kid. Oh.
4: <laughs> he doesn't even know. Well, you That's
1: you, yes, what yeah, I said. I'm okay. like, you don't know. <laughs> I've never done I mean, you don't know what I'm like as a dungeon master. He's in trouble now. I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, right I was gonna now. say
4: he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> have a rough time. <laughs> Don't get too attached to your character. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: tell him yes. I said I think you're a better dungeon master than Bard is.
1: I will because yeah. he he does he does respect you very much, Greg. In <laughs> your opinion. <laughs>
0: And and and, you know Barton always needs to be knocked down a few pegs as well. I think I
1: know, so comfy.
0: Well, we are uh, you know very excited about you know the uh, initiative here around uh, Jasper's Game Week, and you know, kind of uh, you know wanting to just bring it back to that kind of subject. It's something that I think is you know super important to raise funds for and to reduce the stigma, as you're talking about. Is there anything? beyond all that, that we as um, you know, kind of community members and, and humans can do better <laughs> around uh, you know, helping people who uh, are hurting uh, in this way? Uh, I throw that to you, Fenway, but you know, I mean, we, yeah, what do you think?
3: Yeah. Um, so one thing that I would kind of throw out there, and obviously I'm not a professional when it comes to uh, the mental health world, but one thing that I have learned in all of the safe talk trainings that I've taken, which is to teach you uh, how to talk to someone who has suicidal ideations and who is, is dealing with, with those thoughts. And it's just more the idea of not using the words successful or committed when talking about suicide um, and because, or unsuccessful when talking about an attempt. because it makes it seem like the idea the correct thing to do was Mm. the right thing to do was suicide. Um, If you say something like they had a successful suicide, which uh, is one of the things Mm. they teach you, like not say at all. um, It makes it seem like they they were a success. Like it, it literally says they were a success in that sort of thing. And, and somebody who's dealing with the depression, the not feeling worthy enough who attempted um, and having an unsuccessful attempt just makes them feel worse about what they did. And the committed makes it feel like a crime. So, you know, just kind of steering away from mm-hmm. those terms and using died by suicide or and just attempted suicide um, and kind of simplifying those terms is very helpful for people dealing with
0: suicidal ideation. That's important. um, You know, kind of the vocabulary around it is very important and and it's it's shifting all the time too, right? So it's important Mm -hmm. to know when, uh, you know, new guidelines and things pop up along those uh, uh, to to kind of describe in the right way. But, you know, are there any... um, I don't know. I don't want to say warning signs, but like things that like you know that we should be aware of, especially in this time when you know we're still very much apart from from people. We don't get those normal check ins uh, with you know even our our gaming group anymore.
3: Um. So I will say, like I mentioned before, not a prof- I'm not a professional, so I don't want to speak unnecessarily the warning signs and say something that is incorrect. Sure. However, I will say um, a way to check in with someone is if you notice if you notice something that is off, um, a way to say, check in with them, see if they're, ask an open-ended question. Ask, say, something along the lines of, I notice you've been doing this. Often people who are dealing with suicidal ideation or who are thinking about hurting themselves do that. Is this what you're thinking about? Like are you thinking oh. about hurting yourself?
1: To actually like just be that that blunt about it.
3: Yes, there's, there's you, no beating
1: around the bush here. Just right. ask them yes. straight up. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. um And obviously, that would come with you noticing. You, you could do it with one sign. You could do it with multiple signs. Like it just depends on how comfortable you are with the person and how comfortable you are in the situation. Um, so you know. Um, Oftentimes they say, like, use the, the two uh, system method um, where they, if you notice two different signs, that's a really, really good time to ask those questions. But also, if you notice one sign that's very, very prominent um, and you kind of don't know what to think of it and it's not being explained by something else, then that's also a good time to ask
0: makes That's sense. Good. That's really
3: yeah. good
0: advice. Thank you for, you know, I not know no, you're not um certified or, or any type of uh mental health professional, but just having, I think more people talk about this is is important and you know, one of the one of the great goals that you've got going on here and I hope Um, everything with Jasper's game week goes, uh, super awesome. Uh, I know there's ways to, we already mentioned to be able to, um, uh, donate in order to play with Gail and Adam Bradford Mm -hmm. and Christina Ariel and Tori Winslow Brill, uh, for that game. Uh, how, how do people get involved and, 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 try to end up, uh, rolling dice and and uh, having a halfling uh, fighter as a, as a, as a teammate, perhaps. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Named sale. Unconfirmed.
3: So I will say when this comes out, uh, the auctions will have already ended. Oh, okay. Um, So that is, they are ending on the eighteenth. So, Um, but, They can all the people can get involved in a number of ways. Um, So we will have uh, Tiltify rewards open um, for every one of the games where people and viewers can watch and donate um, through Tiltify to affect the game. Um, And then we also are going to be having a couple different conventions going on um, for the, the 7th through the 9th of May. Um, with working with the virtual D and D weekend uh, uh, from Baldwin Games, and then we're creating our own convention um, that's called PopCon, and it's uh, like it's Pathfinder and Starfinder, and and a couple of other uh, game systems over there. So we're kind of hitting all of our bases. Um, but one thing that I was finally told I could announce um, is that with uh, the virtual D and D weekend. Um, we are actually going to have some things from the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft um, be a kind of, you know, previewing there, um, specifically uh, the House of Lament. Um, and, you know, it's it's not part of the Mist Hunter campaign, but um, it's something that's going to be part of our our. Uh,
0: that's awesome. That's yeah. So the house of lament, uh, f- uh, is, is going to be a part of that. And that, what, what were the dates for that again?
3: May 7th through the
0: 9th. Awesome. And Gail, Fantastic. um, thank you so much for, for you know, being on here as well as talking through, um, all of, uh, the awesomeness and being involved in Jasper's game week. I think that's, uh, you know, really awesome. And I think more people are going to be uh, aware of what's happening because of your involvement.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really honored to have been asked to be part of it. And so uh, let's see if we can do our small part to help some people.
0: Absolutely. You already
4: are, definitely. Sure.
0: <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much, both of you. And, uh, you know, there's tons of more information about this in uh, the show notes. And we are in support of everything both of you are doing. Uh, and so uh, just thanks again.
4: Yeah, thank you, and yeah. come play with us. <laughs> yes.
3: Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, and just one thing I want to throw out there before we
4: end.
3: Sure. Uh, day.com is our website. And remember, you are not a critical failure, and you do not
4: have to roll initiative alone. Oh, I, love
0: I love that, that. tagline. It's so
4: great.
0: Yeah. You are not it's a critical wonderful. failure, and you don't have to roll initiative alone. I love it. I love these two people, and I'm so, so excited fun. they're collaborating on uh, you know, raising funds for a good cause, wonderful storytellers all around.
1: I am just very impressed with Fenway, because starting this when she was 14, I'm thinking about what I was doing at
0: 14. Yeah.
1: Nope, nope, nothing like that. No.
0: Nope. I was, so, you know... Auditioning for Little Shop of Horrors. That was pretty much all I can Really?
1: On. That's impressive.
0: Yeah. I did not make it, in fact.
1: Mm. <laughs> I think I was probably trying to figure out how to. Go on tour with Bon Jovi, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which also didn't work out. I guess. How do you know? I oh, I don't know, but I figured that would have come up over six years of recording this podcast together.
1: Yeah, I definitely would have shared that story. <laughs> yeah, right. I have others, but not not that.
0: I mean, I know you went to Air Supply and you had a wonderful moment of meeting them. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I know Spoiler! your boiler. <laughs> new Kids on the Block obsession.
1: I- No, I did not ever have a new kids on the block obsession. I was was, I was too old when they came around. That's how old I am. Air Supply was my new kid.
0: And and Menudo.
1: I was just thinking before we before we started this that I'm so glad these headphones cover like the worst of my gray roots (laughs) because I also speaking of being old. um, Thank you to the seven people who have followed my new Instagram account. Yay! After after saying it here on Dragon Talk last week, seven new people have joined Two Old Moms on Instagram. Oh, so I was trying you. to
0: remember. I was like, was it Two Broke Moms? No, no. it was Two Old and Moms.
1: That, I mean, that works, too.
0: <laughs> that works, too. <laughs> that works, too. Uh, two Old Moms, that's awesome. And then, of course, they can follow you uh, sh- at Shelly Moo at Shelley on Instagram Mo. yeah. and Twitter.
1: Yeah. And what about and you?
0: I am at Greg Tito on Twitter and yes. underscore... Uh, in between those two names on the Instagram. If you want to find out everything that's going on in D&D, there's DungeonsAndDragons.com, or you can download the Dragon Plus app to your phones and get some wonderful, wonderful issues, including highlights from Dragon Talk on there uh, from Mr. Matt Chapman, Editor-in-Chief. But you should also sign up for the Dungeons and Dragons newsletter. Do uh, that. Which can be entering your inbox with the click of a button. So easy. You'll get so much great stuff uh, that yes. way.
1: Yes. I think we even have a link to sign up right in our show notes. That's We're right. just making it real easy
0: for everybody. We'd like to put things in show notes for clickable usages, including Virtual Play Weekend, which is coming up too, right? Oh, yeah. This weekend. This weekend, so by the time you listen to this, it will have been gone. But you can sign up for the next one uh, and get on board. Um, Every month we'll be doing these virtual play weekends through our Discord, uh, and that's probably a great way to uh, find out more and get involved.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you are a Dragon Plus subscriber or a newsletter subscriber, you'll already have that information. But your next virtual play weekend, because they do happen monthly, is going to be May 7th through the 9th. So get your party together, or not. Just show up, because we'll provide a dungeon master for you.
0: Good. It's coming up. Yeah. And Shelly and I might be doing uh, some painting, Mm. uh, a a painting thing happening on that May 6th uh, right there. So that's even more exciting, fun content coming at you that weekend.
1: That's going to be really fun.
0: I can't wait. Yes. I'm going to paint my red slod purple.
1: I... I don't be damned. know if that's... I mean, I guess it's your...
0: It's my canon.
1: Slog.
0: It's all I can do.
1: Why isn't it green?
0: Speaking of the canon that we have created together, Shelley and I, it is time to move on to... Junkie Two Shoes and her adventures ongoing in the city of Waterdeep. Quick recap, you chased an urchin who had Pocketed your pick, no, picked your pocket, uh, and uh, I could have taken
1: my pick if my pick was in my pocket.
0: the urchins at the end of the uh, alley uh, transformed into taller humanoids, one of which uh, turned to confront you and drunkie, but it looked exactly like your brother, exactly yeah. like drunkie two shoes. Uh, you got into a quick fight, there was some stabbing as well as some damage. Um, but you noticed uh, an amulet was holding uh, out, or was was coming out of the shirt of this humanoid. You went to grab it and yes. did not roll very high on your strength check, so you were not able to yank it I off. I rolled one,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: luckily, um, Drunky was able to come up with his short sword and slice the leather thong that kept the amulet around the neck, and everybody kind of fell down from that elastic breaking uh, and that's where we are so you're on the ground now you have the amulet in your hand uh drunky is there still standing but the Darryl. figure is on the sorry uh, daryl is on the ground yeah i d- used the wrong name there didn't i that's
1: all right people uh, all uh
0: standing there with a short sword but the other daryl the not daryl is on the ground uh covered in his robes and now has filth and stuff on him as the others have jumped the wall and uh, looks like they are getting away what do you want to do? I
1: want to take the amulet and I'm going to run. All right, let's go.
0: The Daryl. opposite direction. Let's go. Yes. Okay. Uh, so Gerald uh, takes a moment and says, what, "What do we want to do with him?"
1: Um, Drunk, he doesn't really think about him. She just, for some reason, thinks this amulet is the key to everything.
0: All right. Uh, so let's go. you hear let's Daryl say that and uh, a snarl. Um, behind you as you're running away and uh Daryl is next to you
1: let's run running away is he behind us is he getting up
0: you glance behind you um and you see he is he is indeed uh standing up slowly but you don't get a glimpse of okay. uh of, of his face as his robe is it's, is kind of kind of covering up and if you're running full f- tilt
1: to the safe house i'm gonna okay. try to get back to that harper house
0: all right you guys uh run as fast as you can through the safe through the The streets, and uh, you are unaccosted on your way uh, through uh, the streets as you kind of, you know, you're not necessarily sprinting the entire way, but you uh, take, um, you know, uh, half an hour to uh, navigate the city streets and get there, and are are you looking out for any dangers? Yes. Yeah, so alertness. Roll me a perception check just to make sure to see if you see anyone following you. Twelve. 12 okay um, you feel like you catch a glimpse of a few times of people behind you but then as you uh, you kind of stop and look at them a little bit closer you realize that they are not wearing any of the robes or anything that you would uh, think of as um, the assailants is the right. am- what
1: is the am- okay well I'll ask you that next time
0: yeah you guys make your way to uh, the uh, safe house and we uh, Drunky goes up and does a like a coded um, series of knocks and you uh, see a little view window open up really quickly and a a face that has uh, really large blue eyes uh, looks out at you and uh, it says Drunky, it's good to see you. Get inside. Go. I'm sorry, Daryl. Good to see you. Get inside. And who's this? And uh, he says, Yeah, that was drunkie. And then you guys kind of shuffle inside, and we'll stop there as you guys get inside Woo. the safe house. And we'll see what happens.
1: Scaly.